superpower based on that is um, I'm a lifelong learner. So one of the best compliments I ever got was from a very young CFO. He was like 27, 28 years old, running a multi-million dollar company. And we were doing a mastermind. We were in the same mastermind and he was just a brilliant individual. And at the end of like three or four days, he called me out and said, you are the only person I know who has as much experience and lifetime under your belt, who is still asking questions of people my age. And I, I really took that to heart because it, it's true. I know that I can learn from everyone. It doesn't matter if you're 22 and you're a hairdresser or whatever. And it, it's the same reason why I've been able to pivot and shift so many times because I'm not afraid to learn and I'm not afraid to be um, the dumbest person in the room. And I, by the way, I'm not I afraid to be bad at something. Right. And I, and I think I'm a smart person, you know, and if, and I have a good friend of mine, Philip, and he says, um, you know, the first time you do something, if you're not embarrassed, you're not doing it right. And it's a good, it's a good lesson. So I, I really do think that that has kept me humble and that it, and it, and it keeps you young, honestly, because I am constantly excited about maybe too much about different opportunities, things that people are doing and seeing, seeing the positive on that side. And I think we get old and I think we get stuck when we stop learning and we, when we start thinking we have nothing to gain from someone else, especially someone who looks entirely different from us. So I, I, I do, I am proud of that. I do think that's a superpower. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have live on the line with me Jennifer Grimson. Jennifer, are you there? I am. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So glad to have you here. Um, and we'll get in a little bit to your bio in a second. But for those of you who follow along with our podcast, my wife and I are back out of uh, Acadia in the north. We're down in uh, Pennsylvania again on our way back down south for our travels. And Jennifer, where are you coming in from today? Nashville, Tennessee. Awesome. I loved Nashville. My uh, my son really liked the Pantheon when we were there because he's mm -hmm. sort of obsessed with Greek mythology or was at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a, uh, a a cool town to be in when we uh, when we went through there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's you can't come to Nashville. You can't have a bad time in this town. It's a there's so much to do. <laughs> yeah, and I we went there um, for a uh, business meeting one time and um, it was downtown and we got to go all through the downtown stuff and take the Ubers everywhere. It's like, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, at 3 AM, you could get an Uber to pick you up and take you down to a, uh, a music place that was still open and still serving food and still doing music. And I was like, that's crazy. Cause you know, we're from small town America where, you know, they roll up the sidewalks at six o'clock. Yeah. 
and it's, I don't know when you were here last, but it's during COVID so much has built up down there. Um, and we used to go, we, we live very close to downtown. So we used to go all the time. We went down for the first time the other night. It's like a whole new city again. Um, but yeah, pack Nashville so unique oh, in that cool. sense. Like uh, there's always music. There's always something it's always open. It's always accessible. So it's a pretty easy place to live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, knowing that it's all different, we may have to go back and visit some more. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I want to do real quick is go through your bio. So people who are listening know who you are. So Jennifer Grimson um, was a single mother who lost everything twice. Second time she rebuilt by creating small empires for financial independence. She's created over $1.4 million in income, um, producing investments with nothing more than a W-2 and grit. Um, in 2020, Jennifer created the Micro Empires podcast to share her story and to pull back the curtain on the path to financial independence. So with that brief introduction, Jennifer, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're known for now, what your business is like, and who do you serve? I think what I'm known for, honestly, and this is going to sound really broad, but I'm really known for creating something out of nothing. So I did that in my corporate career where I would open new markets uh, for businesses. And I've done it in my personal life where I can start at zero and just create something from nothing. Um, through the power of just learning and, you know, honestly, grit, just keeping going. And once you get in the right direction, um, who I work with right now. So the podcast was a vehicle to not just tell my story, but to share, I mean, my story isn't over. I'm still seeking financial independence. So it's me sharing the journey along the way and all the tools that I'm learning, because there's always tools to build wealth that are somewhat of a quote secret um, and they shouldn't be, and they're available to all of us. Uh, so just kind of pulling back that curtain and having being identifiable enough to people that they think, you know, I am not a financial expert. I'm not a, a real estate guru. I'm none of those things. I'm just a person who's trying to build wealth. And especially after I lost everything twice. So, and the second time I was 41 years old. So it's not like, you know, I got a head start at 23 years old. Um, so I just try, I think, I think I'm known for that. And I'm also known for the fact that it's never too late to start or to learn, um, and, and, and to be a part and to sort of take your place and, and take, you know, stand in your place and claim what's yours and what you want to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love, I love the uh, creation from nothing. Um, I, uh, I actually uh, took Greek and Hebrew in college um, so I could learn to read the Bible in the original scripts. And the, uh, the term I believe in, uh, in Greek is uh, ex nihilo, um, which means to create from nothing. Wow. Um, and it's a, uh, it's considered a divine power to be able to create from nothing. So anyways, that's a, uh, um, that's a it's a it's a cool way to look at yourself in terms of superpowers, the ability to create from nothing. Um, and so, what I want to find out then is is your origin story, right? Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. We want to hear that story. Were you you know born a hero? Um, were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into uh, you know the income producing um, investments and those kind of things? Or did you start in a job? And I, you know, I want to sort of hear the story of, you know, losing everything twice, those kind of things. Um, basically how did you get to where you are now? You know, it's funny. Cause when I, uh, so my show is called micro empires. And I talk about the fact that everything that you're doing, should be considered an empire. So you have to protect it and be proud of it. Right. So, um, 
was I born a superhero? No, I was not born a superhero, but I certainly was born, you know, as a kid, I had really big dreams and I made some mistakes that I think a lot of people, especially women make, which is I kind of turned myself over my emotional self, my well-being, my financial well-being over to other people. That's what I did. Those were my fatal flaws. Yeah. I think when I became a superhero, um, which I don't know what my name would be, that would be hilarious, is when I woke up the second time and realized I've done this again, because even though there were outside um, things that had happened, my, my reasons for losing everything aren't because I bought expensive clothes or had fancy cars, it's because I turned my financial well-being over to other people, but it doesn't really matter how I got there. I got there. And the common denominator was me. It was that wake up call of the only person who's going to turn this around is me. And the only way I'm going to figure it out is to walk through the mud and to figure it out. And so that's what I decided to do. So yes, I I had a corporate job. I always went and got a corporate job, but I knew that real estate would be a key to building wealth. Um, So that was step one. And then I ultimately went into Airbnb and that's kind of really what launched me here in Nashville. And then I started to learn about other investing opportunities, other ways to invest. And it just became clear that there were all kinds of small ways to create empires that protect you. Because even if you have a really amazing job that you love and pays you so well, if you're let go tomorrow, will you be okay in six months? And I didn't want, I wanted to create an environment where nothing could ever be taken from me again, like that, you know, I could lose a job and that would be okay. I could end a relationship and I would be okay. I could lose a real estate deal and I would be okay. So it was creating all of that. And I think my superpower honestly is the ability to recognize my own role in that situation. Cause I can't point the finger at other people. And then the willingness to just keep learning. Um, You know, I I see a lot of folks who are a lot younger than me say things like, well, I'm too old for that, or it's too late for me. And I think, well, what does it say about me? I mean, even right now, I'm developing yet another career (laughs) at this stage in my life. So um, I guess that's probably when it would be. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to use the word superpower, but I'm certainly, I, I hear from my listeners that they identify with the fact of what I went through and that I stopped keeping it a secret. I had kept it a secret for a long time because there's a lot of shame around losing everything and financial chaos. So, um, yeah, yeah this is it. So my, my first thought is the idea of, of, uh, you know, being able to lose a deal and be okay, or get, you know, fired from your job and be okay. And the thing it reminds me of is, uh, um, you know, my listeners will be, uh, will recognize, you know, I spent a lot of time reading Robert Kiyosaki's books growing up. Um, and one of the things that he says um, is he doesn't count wealth as like an, an amount of money, but an amount of time you can survive with your current lifestyle goals. Right. So it's like, um, like whatever your lifestyle is, however long you could sustain that. Um, you know, if it's a hundred days, you had a hundred days worth of wealth, right? If it's indefinitely, then you're in, you're financially independent. Right. Um, and that's what it sort of strikes me as like, it doesn't really matter what happens in your world. You could continue to maintain your current lifestyle indefinitely. That's financial independence. Right. It doesn't right. really matter how big the portfolio is. Right. That's <laughs> um, true. Or whatever it is you're doing. So, yeah. And, and Robert Kiyosaki, you know, wrote what we call, you know, I call it anyway, the purple Bible, the rich dad, poor dad, which is the beginning of anybody who wants to get into real estate. But honestly, anybody who wants to get in any kind of financial independence, 
because it's a mind shift. That book is that book is what begins your yeah. mind shifting for what you believe before. But I think that's a really good point that you just made about Rich, uh, Richard Kiyosaki because yes, how long can I maintain this lifestyle if everything went away? And that makes you examine your lifestyle, right? So it does for me anyway. Mm. So, I mean, I never lived well above my means, but I'm just more comfortable and, and doing the work to discover where you, where you really feel about money and where you feel comfortable, I think is really important. And then, and then making sure that your partner understands it too. I mean, what you're doing yeah. right now with your family is so unique traveling all over, but there are many people who would find that like so scary and so upsetting or so, you know, terrifying. Um, and it's, it's not for you, but that's a mindset, honestly. And, and that's what I find with my guests. I'll interview people who grew up poor, who are terrified all the time. And I grew, interview people who grew up poor, who have no fear because what do they have to fear? They've seen the worst. Um, and, and I just, I just think understanding what your lifestyle, like your lifestyle is so unique, but so rich for you and your family. I, I just think that's incredible. And I don't think a lot of people spend a lot of time doing that because we're kind of forced the American dream, um, yeah. which yeah, is not, not a real house, thing. Buy a car and exactly. you know, do the same thing every week. <laughs> and, and go into debt, go into serious debt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because I remember when I was growing my business, my first goal in my business was to hit a revenue number. Right. I was like, I had this number in my head. And it's like, when I hit that number, it was a magical number. It was a really low number. It was like, I'm going to hit a hundred thousand dollars a year and I'll have a real business. Yeah. Um, and I'll finally be like financially free and all these other things. Um, and I remember um, I hadn't even quite hit that point yet. Um, and it was, it was a number of years ago. And I realized I was like, I didn't actually, like I had all the money I wanted. And it was only, I think we were like, 60 or $70,000 a year and I could do everything I wanted. And I was like, it, it was, it was a light bulb moment for me when I realized it wasn't the money that I wanted. It was um, for me, it was time freedom and location freedom and having enough money that I could do the things I wanted to do. Um, right. And so like the money wasn't the limiting factor. And then, then it was a shift for me into realizing, okay, so what do I actually want to do with my business um, and having a, a more value-based business instead of just a goal to hit a revenue number. And then my business grew quite a bit. Um, so it's, anyways, it's, it's definitely figuring out a little bit like, what is your lifestyle? What do you want? Right. And right. I figured out what I wanted. And my wife and I, we, we started traveling and it was after we started traveling when we realized that, Hey, you don't need a lot to do what we want to do. Um, and we have so much freedom and we have a lot of um, good time with our, our family and whatnot. But anyways, yeah, that was, it was, it started with figuring out where we, what we wanted our lifestyle to look like and how long we wanted to live that. And now we know exactly what that takes and anything else we build on top of it is just, you know, allows us to keep traveling and do cooler things. Right. I think it's really important for everyone to ask themselves what their definition of wealth is because wealth is, uh, not the best word because it's misunderstood by many people. For me, it's time and options. So yeah. wealth provides me with as much time as I want to do the things I want to do and provides me options. So if the car breaks down or the house burns down or whatever happens, I have options. When you live in financial worry or chaos, you may not have options. You might blow a tire and there are no options. And that's what that's what poverty is because you're terrified all the time. And I know people who make six figures or more mid six figures and live without time or options because they haven't done that work around 
what am I really doing? You know, what, what is any of this? Is it bringing me joy? Is any of it bringing me joy? Um, and Marie Kondo your life, you got to Marie Kondo your life. That's right. On a, on a <laughs> money way, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. I had a, a friend of mine who's got a very successful, um, real estate business, um, in the wholesaling space and was doing like 200 K a month in revenue. Um, and in the wholesaling business, a lot of that is profit. So like big, yeah. big money he was pulling in. And I remember he was, he, he called me up one day and he was like, I'm so jealous of you. And I was like, why you make way more money than I do. And he was like, because you have the freedom that I wish I did. My business is like, I didn't think about how my business was going to impact my lifestyle before I built it. Right. Um, and that's a, uh, that's an important consideration is mm-hmm. to figure out what is, what is the lifestyle you're, you know, whatever investment vehicles you're building your businesses, you're building, how do they affect your lifestyle? And, yeah. you know, do they allow you to have that freedom that you're looking for? And you know, what's interesting to me, I, I work with a lot of folks that are high income earners, saved a lot of money, um, are ready to invest. So they're usually sort of a brand new investor and they're just getting their feet wet because I'm not a huge risk taker. I actually am a micro risk taker. So I don't believe you need to put everything in one basket, whatever. But some folks are scraping together just enough to get started. Other folks have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. They're making six figures. They own their home outright, et cetera. They're ready to move and they don't need to move all of it. Um, but they won't because of the fear. And the question I always ask is how much money do you really need? And like, like you said, I mean, especially if you aren't carrying a house note and car payments, 60 or $70,000 a year for the average person to, it was a very, very nice lifestyle. If after all your expenses, et cetera, but you don't, you stop believing that when you just see the big dollar signs in the bank, but it's really a a shift of like, really how much money do you actually need? And that's a hard question and a hard thing for a lot of people to look at. Um, But I think it's very freeing once you realize it, you know, like your friend had that realization, you know, that he was making what $2.4 million a year. And he's jealous of you because he has no freedom. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I was like, I remember I realized, you know, we carry debt on this RV and we have a car, mm-hmm. right? And we travel pretty much full time. So like we travel three or four times a month and we move all over the country. We've done in four years, we've done 36 states and seen everything. From, um, we were just in Niagara Falls the other day to New York City to, you know, we saw killer whales in Oregon. We've done all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and I, uh, I think the whole lifestyle, everything, like everything we do, costs us maybe $50,000 a year, including the debt. Right. Right. Well, and that's another thing I think it's really important um, for people to understand is there's good debt and there's bad debt, right? So good debt serves you. And right now, you know, uh, with interest rates so low and everything, money's on sale. It's not a bad time to be financing it. It's just to be, uh, actually, we just went out the other day and I never finance things anymore, really. I mean, big things, houses, you know, obviously investments, big investments that we're making in, in multifamily, but it was something small. It never crossed my mind. Like, Oh, I don't have to write a check for this. I can just finance it. Um, and it happened to be furniture. So it could be over years without interest, et cetera, but there's good debt and there's bad debt. And if the debt serves you, then, you know, then it's good. It propels you in the direction that you need to go. Um, so leveraging those things, those are all tools of honestly, tools of the wealthy, to, to, you know, you buy your house and you have all this equity in it 
um, you know, start using that. That should be a tool to build more wealth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's uh, one of the one of the the down the uh, downsides of doing what we're doing um, is because we don't have anything but what we take with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have a house that's building equity or any of those things. Um, so there's opportunity costs that go along with that. And I know um, we've we have allowed us to, you know, the traveling has allowed us to do some of our, take some of our dreams early, but it's also making some of the wealth building stuff a little more difficult, but that is just, it's part of the, uh, the decision process we've, we've made and said, you know, we were aware of that when we did it. So. Um, well, you don't have to live in a home to yeah. have it be an investment. So you certainly could take advantage of that and keep doing your dream. And there are ways around yeah. that, but uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, you're the cost, the cost benefit analysis, but especially with the way that you're traveling all over the country, you're able to see every single pocket and every single opportunity that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the, uh, the things I know you, you mentioned Airbnb. I'm really excited about, um, potentially getting into Airbnb as my next sort of thing. Um, I got a friend of mine who's got like seven or eight properties that does that. And I'm like, I want to get into that space just cause I know, I know some of the areas of the country that they'd be really popular cause we've been there. Um, and we know the areas and we know the kind of things that are, you know, where, where there'd be a good market for them. The other one that I've been really interested in is, uh, the RV parks. Cause after living in them for four years, going all over the country, we know exactly what kind of stuff attracts us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, families like us, and I feel like that would give us a, uh, <laughs> a competitive advantage in the space. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great. Those are both great avenues to go down. Yeah. So. I want to talk a little bit about your superpowers. I know you mentioned it a little bit before, but you know, we say on this show, every iconic hero has a superpower, right? Whether that's a fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius. And that's either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time, right? And this superpower is really what sets you apart and allows you to help your people slay their villains, so to speak, um, and come out on top in their own journeys. And if you think about all the skills you've built over the course of your life, um, there's probably one skill that is connected to all of them, right? It's the common thread that really helps you do what you do. Yeah. Um, so with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is? I think my superpower based on that is um, I'm a lifelong learner. So one of the best compliments I ever got was from a uh, very young CFO. He was like 27, 28 years old, running a multi-million dollar company. And we were doing a mastermind. We were in the same mastermind and he was just a brilliant individual. And at the end of like three or four days, he called me out and said, you are the only person I know who has as much experience and lifetime under your belt, who is still asking questions of people my age. And I, I really took that to heart because it's true. I know that I can learn from everyone. It doesn't matter if you're 22 and you're a hairdresser or whatever. And it, it's the same reason why I've been able to pivot and shift so many times because I'm not afraid to learn and I'm not afraid to be um, the dumbest person in the room. And I, by the way, I'm not I afraid to I'm, be bad at something. Right. And I, and I think I'm a smart person, you know, and if, and I have a good friend of mine, Philip, and he says, um, you know, the first time you do something, if you're not embarrassed, you're not doing it right. And it's a good, it's a good lesson. So I, I really do think that that has kept me humble and that it, and it, and it keeps you young, honestly, because I am constantly excited about maybe too much about different opportunities, things that people are doing and seeing, seeing the positive on that side. And I think we get old and I think we get stuck 
when we stop learning and we, when we start thinking we have nothing to gain from someone else, especially someone who looks entirely different from us. So I, I, I do, I am proud of that. I do think that's a superpower. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love, I love the idea of, uh, of constantly learning. One of my, uh, my favorite, like, I don't know, mental exercises is, uh, you know, the, if, when the fruit ripens, like once it's ripe, mm-hmm. uh, then it starts to rot. So right. if you, you never want to, you never want to get ripe, but you always want right. to be ripening. Right. Um, and that's the way I've always thought about learning. Um, and so I've always got, uh, I've always got something in my life that I'm working on learning. Right. And so um, over the last couple of years, it's been things like, I got a piano sitting there here next to me. And I, I was like, I got my business going and I was like, I'm going to pick up the piano. And like six weeks later, I was, you know, sight reading music with the piano. My wife hated me for it. She like took me years to get that good. Um, and I picked up drawing last year and started learning to draw. And then this year, my son and I are doing a, um, what they call it a 3d modeling. We're learning to do 3d modeling. And I've convinced my, my wife and my son that if my wife, if my son and I can, you know, come up with some cool 3d models, we'll buy a 3d printer and we'll, like, we'll actually make them. And it's just, it's like one of my, I don't know what you call it. It's, it's a thing that I know that we need to do is just constantly have something that you're learning. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff in my business, we've got really solid um, and I've got really good stuff going on there, but there's not a lot of learning opportunities with what we're doing. Right. Cause it's very systematized at this point. Right. Uh, so it's just repeating the same thing. So I've always got like something extra on the outside. I'm like, okay, what are we learning here? And you know, cause they always have to work that muscle. Um, right. And you know, that's where you get into doing things like learning, new investment strategies and the businesses in the new areas, but there should always be something that you're learning. Um, yeah. So anyways, I, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. And I think that a lot of times that sort of mindset people look at as, uh, oh, you're scattered or you're ADHD or you're, and you, and, and I, I've heard that before and I kind of get down on myself and then I realize, you know what? It, okay. So maybe I am, but it is the thing that takes me in all of these directions. I never stop learning. And I've, I've worked with, um, you know, investment groups with very seasoned investors who've been doing, you know, for example, multifamily for many, many years, and I'll hear about something, I'll research it and bring it to them, a new opportunity, a new way to, uh, to manage the money. And they've never heard of it before. So I, I just think that honoring that that need. And even if it's just for being creative, you know, you know, learn how to draw or take a YouTube class or whatever, but it's that mindset of, Oh, I'm done. I'm all done learning. We've got everything that I need to know is, is really uh, debilitating. And I think it uh, rapidly ages us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't imagine being done. Cause there's like, I don't, and the other thing too, is like, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which is, it's a weird paradox, right? Um, but it's, it's absolutely true. Right. Cause you know, and you, you, you know, to the whole point of being ADHD or scattered and one of those things, at least for me, one of the things that helps me with that is, you know, I, I realize that I'm my, the exercises I'm going through are specifically for the joy of learning, not for becoming the best. Right. I'm not looking to become a concert pianist or right. a professional artist or, you know, set up a 3d printing manufacturing facility or any of those things. They're just 
fun exercises, um, you know, on the side to just keep, stay engaged and to have things that you're doing with your kids and your family um, and your, you know, your business the same way. Like, you know, you have, you should have the things that you're focused on that your business is delivering and get really, really good at those. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, get to the point where you're world-class and, you know, it's one of those things that takes years to get world-class at something. Once you have that, that's great. And you should always continue to iterate on those, but there'll always be small iterations once you become world-class. Right. Um and so your big opportunities to learn things are going to be in other spheres. And that's where you get, um, get uh, paradigm shifting things that happen in your businesses when you bring stuff from other spheres that you're learning and pull them into your main like core, if that makes sense. Right. Exactly. Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So I want to talk about the flip side then of your superpower, which is, of course, the fatal flaw. And just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things. Early in my entrepreneurial career was uh, perfectionism, which kept me from actually shipping product, right? I, you know, I could always tweak it just a little bit more instead of actually bringing it to market. Um, or lack of self-care, which I struggled with for a long time, which was um, something that I let my clients walk all over me because I didn't have good balance boundaries, right? And I didn't know how to set good boundaries with my clients um, or, you know, how to like, actually sleep at night. Like there was a whole bunch of problems I had to self-care, learned how to take care of a lot of those things. But I think more important than the flaw is how have you worked to overcome it? So the people who are listening might learn a little bit from your experience. Right. So I talk a lot about in, in my show, the opening question I always have is I ask about your money culture, what you grew up in um, and how it shapes you as it pertains to money, uh, because it, it, it affects us for the rest of our lives. And it's a very interesting conversation. Uh, not a single person that I've asked that question to has, has answered it in the past. Um, but for me, my money culture, not necessarily how I grew up, but because of the things that I experienced by losing everything twice, I have a, uh, a deep um, fear uh, that lives deep inside of me. And what I've decided to do is rather than just overcoming it or ignoring it or trying to change it, is to accept it and to fold it into my life. It's there. I've now acknowledged it. I also acknowledge that it's just necessarily, it's not necessarily a fact all the time. It's just a feeling, but this is a really universal um, yeah. flaw. And I think it, it, it's, it, it, it could pertain to anything. It could be money, relationships, jobs, you know, anything, parenting, et cetera. But that fear bleeds into self-doubt and everything else. And we can, it's more comforting to let it paralyze us because that's where we go. And that's what fear does to us. So for me, it's been kind of like pulling that skeleton out of the closet, bringing it out, putting a party hat on it, putting on the couch and like fear is invited to the party, you know, and I'm terrified. We're going through a transaction right now. And as it pertains to money, I still have fear. My husband does not suffer from this money culture issue. He has a different money culture, but he, but we talk about it on a daily basis. You know, I'm, I'm feeling sick. I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling this, you know, whatever it is. Um, but despite now fear is kind of my co-pilot, like she's there, there ain't nothing I can do about it. She's neurotic and she's coming along, but she's not going to decide how we make what are the moves that we're going to make to move forward? But recognizing that, recognizing that fatal flaw is really important. Another one, it's not mine, but I just want to touch on it is, is when folks tie their relationship with money to their identity. So yeah. if it's important to me to have a fancy car and a nice house or whatever to my own detriment, 
you know, doing some examination around that because that is not taking care of yourself at all. It's sabotaging yourself. So I don't have any of that, but I live well below my means and I always have. Uh, it's so it's a little bit moving into this new world where I'm kind of like, oh, wait, I, I, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to be so frugal all the time. I actually can go ahead and spend this kind of money, but yeah, short answer fear. I love, I love the uh, description too of the money culture. And I know it's something that my wife and I have dealt with a lot because she grew up um, very poor. Um, and I grew up upper middle class because um, mm-hmm. my dad worked his ass off to do what he did. Um, and, you know, he started off poor. And by the time, you know, I remember most of life, we were doing pretty well. And by the time I graduated high school, he's doing pretty well. And he's retired well and all that kind of stuff. So I have um, and I had the other interesting tidbit of like my dad put the rich dad books in my hand when I was like nine years old. Wow. Um, so I had I had a pretty good, you know, like middle class employee mindset about money. And then I started learning from Robert Kiyosaki and Donald Trump and some other people that were that I was reading their books like Art of the Deal and stuff when I was 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, so I had I had a, a very interesting relationship with money. Um, and it it has turned like my my money culture has sort of become a uh, it's always been it's a tool right. um, and I've never really been afraid of it. Um, and I've always um, I've always been. I think if I, if it was, there was a flaw side of that, it's that like, I always want to have whatever the best thing is. Ah, yeah. <laughs> right. Where, where like, if there's a choice between two hammers and one of them is $2 and one of them is $5, I'll buy the $5 one. <laughs> right. And your wife of, growing, growing up poor probably has the totally opposite yeah, feeling. Yeah. She's yeah. like, she would rather buy the $2 hammer five times than buy the, you know, the $5 hammer once. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, um, and so we we struggle with that a little bit. Um, but as the uh, one of, one of the things that I've found interesting is like what I've been working on, like personally with my relationship with money, is I, and I, I figure this is like my my ladder for success is how much money do I not have before I, before I don't have to like consider it a decision. Um, and so so what I mean by that is like if I go to Walmart and I buy a, an object, buy a widget. And I take it home and it doesn't work. <laughs> right. How much money before it, I don't care that it didn't work and I'll just move on with my life versus going through the the process of having, having to refund it, like go right. back and get it returned and worked on. And I remember when we first started off our marriage, we were very poor. Um, and it was like, you know, if it was a dollar, we'd go back and return it. Yeah. And, you know, you get to the point where it's, you know, it's $10, $50, $100, $500. And you're like, you know, if it's a $500 investment, if it works great, if it doesn't work, it's not a big deal. And you just move on. Right. Um, and because you realize, you know, the experience and other things are, are they're just worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of been my, my measure of like, okay, I want to, I want to get that number to the point where I can buy a sailboat. Right. If I don't like it. I just buy a different sailboat. <laughs> it's not there yet, but eventually that's, that's how I always right. thought about that. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. That's, that's a good way to measure it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I say the sailboat is actually, I was, we were at a, a boat show a number of years ago in San Diego, which is, you know, very near all of the very wealthy um, movie stars and whatnot. And I was yeah. talking to one of the uh, yacht brokers and I was like, I was like, so what is it like selling yachts in this price range? He was like, He's like, either we sell to normal people like you, um, or we sell to crazy people who come in and they're like, they buy yachts the way that you buy socks at Walmart. <laughs> right? He's like, do you want the black ones and the white ones? They're like, I'll take both, try them for a week and whatever I don't like the other one, I'll just give it to a friend. And like, that's, <laughs> that's the reality. Isn't that <laughs> that's crazy? The reality. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, it's insane. There's only a very, very small percentage of the world like that. But when you float in those circles, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, but apparently being a yacht broker, you meet those people. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> which I could imagine is kind of fun. So I want to talk then about your common enemy. And your common enemy um, is an interesting, it'll be interesting for this conversation because generally you put it in the context of your clients, but every superhero has an arch nemesis. And it's a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world, right? And in the world of business, it takes in a lot of forms, but generally speaking, we put it in the context of your clients. And for this, why don't we put it in the context of like your listeners and the people that you work with on your podcast and your show and teaching them about investing. Um, and it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you constantly have to fight to overcome so that the people who are listening to you and learning from you can actually get the results that they came to you for, right? What is that arch nemesis that you're constantly having to fight against? Uh, it's self-doubt. So it's everything from, I, um, I'm not smart enough to do this. I'm not brave enough to do this. I'm, I am afraid to leave my marriage because I'll be lost. I'm afraid to get married because I will lose something. I'm afraid to buy my first home. I'm afraid to make my first investment. And it all comes down to who they are and their own valuation and self-doubt. And so how I help people with that, because I suffer from that too, of course, um, is, you know, just tools that I've used over the years and they're there and they are tools that have, like, I always call it moving the needle. There's a reason it's called micro empires. It's micro risks. And, you know, you do, you, everything is done in small chunks, um, because that's how I could manage my relationship with money, my fear and my learning curve and my own self-doubt was to go into it slowly, slowly, slowly. So the way I help people is, you know, there's something that I do, I, I go live, live as if. So when you're going into an environment and you uh, are, you want to become a, a real estate investor. Well, if you own a home, then you already are a real estate investor. You know, it's okay to live as if you already have millions of listeners and thousands of followers and a multi-million dollar business. It doesn't mean fake it. But it does mean tell the true story. I'm building this business. This is who I am. I am an investor and believing in who that is and believing that you are smart enough and curious enough to get the information that you need to squash that self-doubt. But a lot of it just comes from deep, deep, deep within um, the simplest of things. And it is the thing over and over and over again that uh, I talk to people about every day. Uh, and that's it's such an interesting thing too. Um, I love I love the concept of of having the small things that you can take control of um, and move forward, and just the uh, the small risks that you can take to to manage them. Because we all have we all have our self doubts, and we all have the problems, you know, with trying to come up with things. Um, and you know, I like. I've wanted to get into the real estate business for years, but I've always been like, you know, I want to build my business to a point where it's like throwing off the cash flow that I can invest in real estate. It's not like really, it's just like a side thing. Um, so I like, I made that decision con consciously. Um, but there's always that part of me is like, am I making that decision constantly or am I afraid of it? Yeah. Right? And I was like, I always have to examine that um, and make sure that like, no, I'm still doing what I want to be doing. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's an interesting thing. And I like, I like the, uh, the thought too of, of learning how to live as if. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we hear all the time, people always tell you to fake it till you make it. And I've always hated that saying, mm -hmm. but the underlying concept 
um, is, is really, really powerful because you are not what you think you are, how you act, right? right? Your actions define who you are. Right. right? And, um, and, you know, I always like to tell people, I was like, you know, if, if, if someone could read my mind, I'd probably be in prison, right? <laughs> but that's not, <laughs> right? And that's probably true for everyone. Oh, that's um, funny. But you're not judged by how you think. You're judged by how you act, by what you do. Um, and so learning to act, to act as if, um, mm-hmm. is is just, it's a matter of like learning how to, um, you know, your, your lifestyle follows your actions. It's not the other right. way around. Right. So right. to act as if... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, is, you know, that's where that whole thing of buying the $5 hammer came from mm-hmm. in my life. I was like, I was like, you know, a, a wealthy person would buy the $5 hammer because that's the one that they would buy. And so even right. when I was broke and young and an early entrepreneur, I was like, I, you know, I'm going to act as if I'm a wealthy person and buy the $5 hammer. And right. for the project I'm working on, even if it takes me three weeks to save up for the $5 hammer. That's the way that the, you know, even if that's flawed, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but in my head, that's what I thought wealthy people would do. So I was acting the way a wealthy person would act, which was by the $5 hammer. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, yeah, I, I, I really like that. It's one of the ways that I've run my life is learning to, to act as if I am where I want to be. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest exercises that I've done, and it, it really works, although, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a very, very, very pragmatic, you know, practical person. Um, it's so when I hear something like a vision board, I'm like, oh God, you know, my eyes roll and I'm like, please give me a break. However, um, I have several times I do it on a whiteboard and I, I map out the mission, whatever it is. So it might be at, at one point I had one that I still have it. It says home work and, uh, and love. And so it was about creating a home, creating work and finding love. And I wrote it all out on a whiteboard, put it up on my wall. And it was as if that was as if, and I saw it every day. And then you stop seeing it every day because it's there every day. And lit literally like within a year, um, well, no, that's not true. I mean, in a year, certainly some of it came true, but as I look back now on that board, everything that I wrote down was achieved. And that is about living as if, so it can be a small thing, like writing yourself a sticky note saying, I am wealthy, you know, I deserve this, I, that, you know, whatever it is. When I first started doing real estate investing, I had, I had bought my home and I found about a real estate investor network group and I went to it. And the first night I went, it was like 500 people and it was so intimidating and they were all speaking a language I didn't speak, but it was also exciting. I felt like I had landed, I call it swimming in the pool. I was in the right pool and I was swimming but I was swimming with all Olympic athletes and I'm like in my floaties, just trying to keep up, but I'm in the right pool. I mean, that's better than most people. You're across the field. You don't, you can't even see the pool. So I knew I was in the right pool. So I went home. They had a meeting once a month, went home. I had business cards made up black business card, had my name on the front on the back. It said investor (laughs) entrepreneur. (laughs) Here's my phone number. That's it. No email, nothing, nothing, nothing. So I had something to hand out. And I'm like, yeah, I'm an investor. I own a house. I'm investing right now. And it was just learning by fire. If anybody asked me, you know, well, what do you own? What do you invest in? Of course I tell the truth, but that's how I had to learn. I mean, I went out with wholesalers and banged on doors. I did all the things till I figured out what my personality type and my, who I am as an individual would do well in. And it is not door knocking. (laughs) And it is not flips and it is not rehabs. It's none of those things. Um, 
But living like that was really important. And then as I started to build my portfolio of Airbnbs, which I did just by moving into them, which is something you might consider. So I'd buy a house and move into it for 3%, live in it for six months, set it up as an Airbnb and leave and do it again and do it again and do it again. So it's house hacking. But once I started to, you know, a year into being- I feel like that might be genius. uh, Thank you. Um, (laughs) Once I started, because it's only- Anyway, we could talk about that. Um, Once I started doing that, because we would stand up in this group and introduce ourselves, I'd stand up and I'm like, I'm Jennifer. I have uh, four single family homes, three of which are Airbnbs. I'm investing in this. And people were like, oh my God, you're a guru. You're the, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm somebody who's moved six times in 18 months. It's not fun. I have a job on top of it all. It was hard. It was, I got comfortable being uncomfortable, but uh, you know, that is a perfect example of how you all could, um, begin this journey. I I would say not that you asked me, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, since you are thinking about real estate, there's no reason you have to stop what you're doing and refocus on something else. You can put your toe in the water. You can take a micro risk. You can make a small investment and see how it goes. See how it makes you feel, you know, see what tax benefits it brings you. There's lots that's, of different ways. Genius. We may have to talk more about that after the, uh, after the interview. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it was genius too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like the, uh, the concept of, of dipping your toe into things. That's, I mean, that's how I've, I've, um, I tell people I've been running my my business for I don't know 12 or 13 years now. But honestly, it's changed and shifted a lot. Um because what I would do is like I had I had really strict rules for me and my my best friend. Um we started in 2007 together, so however long that's been. Um we dropped out of college on the same day because we're like we're oh, going to wow. get into business and we're in we podcasting. No. Um oh, okay. it's it's shifted a lot. It's been in it's been in business and marketing the whole time. Um and it's just gotten very narrow into podcasting over the years. But what, um, and he's actually, he's in a different space. He's in the real estate marketing space. But so we sort of grew our businesses parallel. Um, but we both had very similar rules that we set up for ourselves. And it was, it was, uh, um, you know, time freedom and location freedom and some other things that we wanted to have, like our business let us do those things. And mm-hmm. so we'd go down a path a little bit. And, you know, like your example of door knocking, you realize, hmm, that was violating some of our rules. <laughs> and we pull back and we go a different direction a little bit and we go down and, you know, be, and sometimes like the money was good in some areas and we'd stop anyways. Um, because I was like, I had, we had our lifestyle goals that we wanted to build. And we, I wasn't looking to build a business that changed the world, like Apple computer or something. I was looking to build a lifestyle business. Um, and so I knew right. what those rules were, took more than 10 years to get there, but you know, it, just by, by, you know, acting as if essentially and going down those, those paths and testing things out really allowed us to get where we wanted to go with our businesses. Right. Right. And I would say anybody who, I mean, the other part of it was, um, I was so motivated to learn the lesson, whatever the lesson was that I had to learn, I had to learn it. And I was willing to clear everything off my plate to learn it. So during those years of building that business, I wasn't in a relationship. I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like I, I had a full-time job. And I had this other side business that I didn't even know I was building, but I was building and I just knew it was going to work. And it was before Airbnb, people were like, what is that? What do you mean people are staying at your house? That's crazy. And I was like, crazy, but six nights a month pays my mortgage. So, okay. 
Um, <laughs> works for uh, me. Uh, works for me. And I was buying in rough neighborhoods. I was, you know, I was doing all the things that people were like, what's a nice girl like you doing stuff like that. And I, you know, I was like a nice girl like me doesn't want to end up with no job, no car, no money, no place to live and two kids ever again. Um, but you know, if I, you know, where you are, you're just so grounded in your family and your comfort level and what you're doing. And this just actually is another opportunity perhaps to, you know, build wealth and have some fun and get an industry that you like. There's a good and bad side of Airbnb. I could go on and on and on forever. I actually sold all of the properties 30 days before COVID hit. So I got out of Airbnb entirely (laughs) of that (laughs) business. I might go back into it in another market, but probably not in Nashville. What's, what's interesting to me is I got another friend of mine who does Airbnb and he had all the properties at the beginning of COVID and it was a nightmare for several months. And now he's so booked. He can't even like see straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true. And they, but see, and that's true. And if I'd hung on to them, it would be fine now, but those eight, nine months, 10 months in between, I would have been miserable. And I would have, and my carrying cost was $7,000 a month. And I would have been making my husband crazy. Um, And it was just better. Um, It's just what I needed to do. And I wanted to do more in multifamily, more investing, passive investing, because that's by, by trial and error and going over and over. What I've realized is that being a passive investor is what I really like to do. So I would like to get to the point where I got the cash flow for that because I've looked at some of the numbers and the passive passive investing where you're working with someone who's putting deals together, mm-hmm. um, and you know you put up the five hundred thousand or whatever that they need to reposition the property, um, and you know you get a ten percent equity stake in the property and like they you know you get a ten percent cash flow for the whole whole period until they get to the reposition when they do the cash or refinance you get another you know you get another ten percent windfall of cash and then you know when they sell the property you get the ten percent again and it's like you can turn that five hundred thousand dollar investment into a million and a half bucks over the course of four or five years and you've got your cash on cash return back in 18 months so you can put it back into another project that they're doing and it's just it's insane and your your work on that is nothing it's just putting up the money it's money but but and that's important to say because i think that so that's exactly what i do right now and i also work with other investors to kind of you know just show them the opportunities that i'm going into but you don't need $500,000 you typically need 100 some will do 50 um it depends on what kind of investor you are and that's kind of my point you the comfort level really really is Whatever the dollar amount is, whether it's 50 or 100, whatever it is, you got to be comfortable saying goodbye to it for a few years. Even if you're getting your cash on, you know, your returns, um, your cash flow during the during the years, like it's not going to be a ton of money um, coming in. It's the equity play. But the yeah. one thing you didn't talk about is the huge tax benefit that also comes, which is a you don't know what the tax number. benefits are. I've never, I've never done that. I've never done it. So I just conceptually, I understand how it works, but I've never done it. So I don't really know what the tax shelter stuff is on the other side. I'd be it's interested incredible. if you're curious to talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, as an investor, so I'm on the investor end, I'm not on the GP end, but you know, there's, there's cost segregation and bonus depreciation, et cetera. These are all tax laws that are available. So Oh, let me back up a bit. We have owned an apartment complex ourselves straight out and have a management company in there. We did something called cost segregation and bonus depreciation, which basically gave us a huge tax cut, which we applied and were able to apply very, very quickly um, versus what it, 
the law used to be, it took 27 years. We are getting out of that hands-on business. And now, now we are taking that money and redeploying it as investors in different multifamily opportunities. So last year, I made an investment in um, 67 doors in Knoxville, Tennessee. Last week, I made another investment in 128 doors in Chattanooga. And it's exactly as you describe it. So that $100,000, which by the way, it's not like I can write a check for $100,000. I can use a tool called a self-directed IRA. You can use your old 401k. There are a lot of ways to do that. You can put it in. One of my favorites is I got a friend of mine who does this. You take that money and it's in a whole life insurance policy that's earning like six or 8% annually. And it's coming exactly. out, out as a loan. So the cash flow pays the, pays the interest back in um, in the equity position. So you're actually like stacking your interest. That's exactly right. So whole Ooh, life wealthy is- Wealthy people play. That, exactly. That's exactly that's what this show is about. So I have an episode on whole life insurance and that's exactly one. Another one is a, called a first position HELOC when you own a home yeah, yeah. and you do the same thing. So the, the idea, and, and I understand this for anybody, like, you know, I'm talking about, oh, it's only a hundred thousand. Like that's not, you know, I'm not a complete jerk. Like I know that's a huge number, but when I learned so I learned while I was still working a job and had just gotten into Airbnb through my real estate group that I could take my 401k and put it in a vehicle where I could invest in real estate. I quit my job to get the 401k out. Now, granted, I don't like the job anyway. I got another job, but um, I got that money out so I could start using it um, to invest in real estate. And that's what I've done. And I've grown it there. And then there are other vehicles. But my point is, so it's very intimidating to say, um, okay, it, and it depends on the operators. That's really the trouble. The trouble is to find people that you know, like, and trust and who you can work with. That is the most important thing, more than anything, more than the deal, more than anything. Who do you know, like, and trust? Trust actually coming first. Um, but it, this is exactly, I'll, I'll walk through the Chattanooga deal. You know, it's an $8 million property. We did a $2.6 million raise. The minimum was about $100,000. But if you do $100,000, you're getting a basically, you know, a 6% return. And then, but an expected like, you know, 1.6 when it sells out. So you will triple your money by the time you're done. Now, by the time you're done, won't be, I mean, with real estate, you need to plan at least three to five years. Um, but also during that time, you're getting all of the tax benefits and that, that comes with, um, you just have to have yourself a really experienced CPA who understands real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating too. It's an, it's an entirely different game that you play once you get to, uh, that level. Um, and that's where I was like, I know, um, in my, in my business, that's sort of my next goal is to take the cash flow that the business generates and start putting it into those things. Um, because everything I do in my business even as systematized as I've made it, it's still, it's still an active business, right? It's like, if I went away um, in a few years, the business would die. Um, right. So I'd like to get it to a point where it would continue to grow without me, but we're not there yet. Um, but anyways, I know like that's, that's sort of is, you know, take the business build, you know, if you're the B quadrant, use a cash flow to get into the I quadrant. Um, so, and, you know, I know you interviewed, you've, you've interviewed a few of my friends, but one is Billy Keels. I know you interviewed him recently. Um, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And he lives in Barcelona. Um, he has a full-time corporate job and he does investments as well. And, uh, he, I mean, his, 
his types of investments that he raises money for are not necessarily real estate, but there are lots of things out there that once you have, like, let's say you have a, an old 401k with 200,000 and you convert it to something that you can, you can use to invest. It's just sitting there and you're just looking for ideas of where to put this money. And it's, and you know, it's just going to sit there anyway, and it's not accruing much interest. So there are lots of opportunities, um, but it's really about understanding and opening the doors, be willing to learn and knowing that you belong there. Like there's no, that's the other thing that's very intimidating. Folks think, oh, it's only if you're super wealthy or, or whatever. And it's not true. Um, you belong there. You act as if, cause you do belong there. Everybody does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, I think that was a, a good discussion. You know, normally I have a section of the show called the hero's tool belt where we talk about some practical things, but I think that's, you know, pretty much covers some practical things you could do with, uh, with your finances. But not. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster, having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business. doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. But I want to talk a little about your own personal heroes, right? So, you know, everyone has their mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, or, you know, like we mentioned, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, um, or Spider-Man who had Uncle Ben. Um, who are some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers or authors, maybe um, peers who are a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? You know, I think my real life mentors are the folks that I saw just continuing to choose to be happy, no matter how hard their lives were. And that was a real testimony to me. So a, a lot of that stems around poverty when you're either poor or you're uh, living in financial chaos is another way that I put it, but you meet folks that are just still choosing happiness, still choosing to live life and to enjoy life. So that was really important to me. As far as famous people, I mean, I certainly this is so cliche, but I'm definitely going to have to quote, you know, Oprah, Oprah saved my life when I was going through my first divorce and uh, absolutely terrified and, and didn't know where to go or what to do. And uh, like many people, I at three o'clock every afternoon, this is before internet, before everything, I would, I would watch her on TV and Maya Angelou came on and said, lessons will continue to be taught until they are learned. And I was yeah. eating, I remember I was eating a chicken sandwich. I stopped in the middle of the chew and went, 
oh my God, I am going to be, I'm going to marry the same person. I'm going to make the same mistakes and I'm going to end up in the same place if I don't learn this lesson. And that was my first step of, this is a lesson that I have to learn. It's not going to get better if I don't learn it. Um, and then I, I think along the way, just all of the people that I've followed, Jen Sincero and Gavin DeBecker and Chris Voss, it's sort of a plethora of people, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, definitely a mindset shift, but it wasn't just about money. It was really about discovering who I am and knowing what my needs were on every level. And then being able to communicate that without flinching and without feeling bad about taking my space and taking my place. So I, I, I can't point to one person, but um, yeah, that's, that's what they would look like. What's, what's interesting to me is uh, I, I also remember where I was at the first time I heard someone say lesson repeated until lesson learned. Um, and I was sitting in a uh, network marketing, um, like a meeting Mm-hmm. And the guy's name was Larry and he's standing up and he's talking and I was in a college kid at the time and wanted to get into this whole world of business and thought network marketing would be a great way to start. And I remember he was sitting there and he, he just to the whole audience and he said, you know, lesson repeated until lesson learned. And I was like, I don't remember anything about that, like, um, like almost nothing from the entire experience for years um, that I can like really, really concretely say impacted my life. But hearing him say that one thing, it's like mm-hmm. shifted everything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you realize it's like, Hey, you, you have to learn the lesson before yep. you move on. Yeah. Um, and the hardest part sometimes is you don't know what the lesson is or right. where, you know, cause you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. Um, and sometimes you just have to hit your head on the wall a few times until you realize what's, you know, what's going on. Right. Um, but that willingness to make the mistakes and to analyze them and to learn the lessons and move forward is like, that's how you grow. That's yeah. how you create the snowball effect in your life. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. So I want to talk about one more thing, which is your guiding principles, right? And so one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up, wrap up the interview, I want to talk about maybe one or two principles that you live your life by. Maybe something you wish you had known when you started out on your own hero's journey all those years ago. These are just so, you know, these are just so easy questions. <laughs> They're like huge. You know, someone asked me the other day on a show I was on uh, what the meaning of life was. And I hadn't been asked that before. And I hadn't <laughs> you really- say 42? Yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, but I think this is the same. Um, for me, it's, it's my guiding. It, I think I've been living this truth, but I hadn't put it into words until a few days ago. But I think the meaning of life and my guiding principle is impact. I want to have a positive impact. And I think it's the most important thing that any one of us can do. And some people are like Oprah and they have a huge platform and they can impact, you know, lots and lots of people. And then there are other people who, um, I mean, I'm, I have many stories and I'm sure that you do. And every listener you have has the story like this of somebody, a complete stranger who said something to you one day that completely impacted you for the rest of your life. Um, So I think my goal is to try to have a positive impact on everybody, every person that I touch in some way, because what is the purpose of anything if I'm not doing that? And I, and I really only surround myself. That's another key part. And it's, it is a guiding principle. I, I don't waste my time. I don't fill the space with people who aren't, you know, swimming in the same pool. 
just got to keep up. That doesn't mean that you abandon your friends who have a different mindset or whatever, but I, I only surround myself with really quality people and really people who are learning and striving for better. So I, I think those are my guiding principles. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I have, I have a similar one that I follow called, uh, um, that I say is to leave it better than you found it mm-hmm. similar to impact, mm-hmm. right. Where, you know, everything from, you know, people you meet, if you leave a smile on their face, you've left them better than you found them too. That's right. When we go to campsites, we make sure they're cleaner than when we got there um, and national parks and everything. And like my kids are the crazy kids on the beach who are like cleaning up after other people. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, right. But it's, it's, it's an impact thing. We want the impact on our world to be a positive one. Um, and so we, we, everything we do is, is all sort of geared towards, you know, leaving yeah. a better, leaving a better world behind. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's so much, it's just as easy to be nice. Uh, it's easier to be nice than it is to be mean or any other negative emotion. Yeah. Like it's much easier to do that. Absolutely. Well, that is basically a wrap on our interview, Jennifer. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, um, but I do have one final thing that I do at the end of all of my shows. It's a simple challenge that I call the Heroes Challenge, and it's a selfish thing, right? I do it to get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? First person that comes to mind for you? Uh, The first person that comes to mind for me is Mignon Francois, and she is the founder of the Cupcake Collection here in Nashville, Tennessee. She was one of my very first guests. She is phenomenal. She started with $5 and uh, in her home with no electricity and built a multi-million dollar cupcake business. And she is a walking, talking testimony to love and light and joy. And before I got to meet her, I used to go down to her little house, her little cupcake house where she was making them. And I'd buy a cupcake because it's all I could afford. And just the joy that I felt in that environment impacted me. So she was one of my first guests and um, she's a hero to me for sure. Absolutely. We'll, we'll reach out later and see if we can get an introduction, maybe get her on the show. They don't always say yes, but we always try to get cool people on. Understood. Um, So in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who cheer and clap for the acts of heroism. So our analogous to that as we close is where can people find you if they want to learn from you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Jennifer, I'd love to learn a little bit more about micro empires um, and getting that kind of stuff going in my life. Um, and I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to reach out and maybe listen or to learn from you? Yeah. Um, I love for people to listen to the podcast so you can get it anywhere you can find podcasts and it's micro empires. Uh, my website is micro empires.com on there. If you want to schedule time to talk to me, I have a Calendly that you can fill out and I'll spend time with you. I have a guest intake form and also an investor intake form just for people, you know, really just anybody who's interested because you got to start somewhere. Um, The right person to reach out to me is really anybody who's trying to figure out, um, you know, the next real move in their life, whether that's financial or, or otherwise, but I I tend to work with folks who are kind of have everything in the right spot, you know, but they just don't know how to take the next step or, 
a lot of people identify with being at the place where I lost everything and how to begin again. And I have episodes that go through every single detail. It's one of the things on my show. I share all of my numbers. I don't, I don't make it vague. I make it very specific. I ask all of my guests to be very specific. So there's no, um, there's no fuzz. There's no blur on the screen. So you can understand exactly what it is that you're getting. Absolutely. So, um, that is basically a wrap. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jennifer. If you are in that spot where you want to look and um, learn a little bit about building micro empires, definitely check out the show. I'm going to be checking out the show. Um, I didn't know you you had it. I was like just just uh, reading through your bio. I was like, oh, this is like my kind of my kind of uh, information. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing that. Um, but Jennifer, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for my audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? Uh. Thank you very much for having me and don't abandon yourself because you are a superhero in your own life. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jennifer. <laughs>